Okay, it's Jason again, whatsoever is true. Today's subject is picking up on the Christian libertarianism, I don't know, biblical, <clears throat> biblical libertarianism, if you will, that I mentioned in the previous episode. And uh, let's talk about that and, and continue to build on it because it is a huge subject that will actually help us understand the gospel more. We're not trying to win a political party here. This is not that. What we're talking about is Christian principles, biblical principles, and applying them to the particulars of life, which is what we should be doing as Christians. That's part of our sanctification, our growing in Christ-likeness. You know, a lot of us struggle with, you know, I don't know what the Lord wants for me in my life. Well, we do. The Bible's very explicit. That is for us to grow in practical holiness. You know, if you're, if you're not saved, well, get saved. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ. And then grow in Christ-likeness, because the entire goal of it, Romans 8, is to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, that doesn't mean we start walking around in sandals with a you know, long robe on or something and, and uh, say, peace be with you everywhere we go. What we're, what we're doing is we're growing in practical holiness and applying those to our particulars, okay? So, what happens in this case with Christian libertarianism, and this is where we get confused, and this is a huge apologetics point, too. Because a lot of people like to come back at us when we talk about Christ and, and biblical faith and biblical truth and, of course, the Bible as it relates to politics and like to play the West Wing objection. Remember, there's a show with uh, West Wing about the president and he hits this, this, this morally tyrannical uh, alleged Christian in the show that that's intolerant and shown as being hateful and spiteful and so forth and so on. Well, the president of the show, West Wing, hits the the this this intolerant this intolerant christian with all of these objections and i like to refer to them as the 1001 levitical objections right what was you would you stone somebody who's disrespectful to their parents would you stone homosexuals and so forth you mean that bible i actually heard former president obama do that you know he I, i'm assuming he picked it up from from a tv show and so people like to use that as their as their trump card <clears throat> no pun intended, with President Trump. But what they like to do is is, is use that as a bat to, to batter you into submission and go, oh, well, well, that doesn't sound right. Okay, well, first and foremost, how do we apply that? And, and let's get over this sticking point. What happens to unbelievers in the modern New Testament age of Christian liberty? Let's take a look at that because it's actually an amazing answer. It's an amazing truth. You know what happens to unbelievers? You know what happens to unbelievers if there's true Christian theocracy, if the civil magistrate actually operates through Christian principles, through the, through the Bible? You know what happens to them? They have the same political liberty as every Christian does. Yeah, if you're a homosexual, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jewish person, if you're a you know, Wiccan, whatever it is that you are, if you're even a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan or whatever, if you're a terrible dancer, if you have horrible hair, whatever, the, all of it is irrelevant. What is relevant is God created all of you and he commands all people to repent everywhere. Former times of disobedience, you overlook now, he commands all people to repent. Right? Acts 17. <clears throat> to what? Wait a minute. So now you're like, wait, 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 wait. 
political liberty. What do you mean by that? All right, here we go. Now, in the Old Testament era, clearly, in, 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 in the Old Testament Israel, there was, but some people say it was a theocracy. But in fact, you know, that's actually not true because there was a, there was a separation of powers even in Old Testament Israel. Remember, there was a difference between the prophet, priest, and king. So, and initially there weren't kings, which goes to show you that there should be a division of power and there should be liberty. Be and the reason there needs to be a division of power and there needs to be political liberty is because you can't trust anybody with power because of sin. The, the whole notion that you can't trust people with liberty is, is amazing because people say, well, you can't trust individuals with liberty, but I can trust groups of people with power. I mean, you can't get any more idiotic than that. And that's the way sin plays us. It plays us for fools. We end up doing and believing things that are just patently preposterous. So, what of it? Israel had certain civic laws. Those laws, many of them, were unbelievably beautiful in, in, in their scope, you know, in, re, in resisting bloodshed for the sake of it, like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's actually there to make sure that if somebody killed your brother, you didn't kill their whole family. Right, that there was a there there was a limit, and it was justice. Now it was trying to restrain sin that was already in their midst. Remember, Israel comes along long after the uh, the covenant with with Abraham and so forth and so on. So um, here's the here's the point we need to, to get at. The Old Testament Israel, that law was given by Moses, right? God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to them. If we look at Hebrews chapter three. We see that, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Okay, so now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast in our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Okay, what is that getting at? We're not reading the entire thing and really breaking this down verse by verse. Jesus Christ is greater than Moses. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. That's Romans 10. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. Okay, this is a stumbling stone. If you look at sin, now homosexuality and being disrespectful to your parents and adultery and all of those things that were mentioned in Leviticus and so forth that people find so objectionable, they are still sins. They're not, they're not okay now. We're not saying that, oh, well, go ahead and go ahead and do it. In fact, the modern era Christian would go to the homosexual and preach Christ. The same way we preach Christ to everybody, we preach Christ. We're not saying that that's not a sin. What we are saying, though, is that there's no civic penalty for that sin. That's not a crime. That's a sin. It's not a crime. There's a distinction between a sin and a crime. Romans 13, 12 and 13 point this out. All Ready? All crime is a sin, but not all sin is a crime. Vernon Poitras points that out in, in Christ in the, in the Law of Moses. Great book dealing with the issue of theonomy and uh, you know, God's law and so forth and so on. Now, this, this, rattles, this rattles the birdcage here of, of people who 
we're, we're, we're swinging around a little bit and they're, they're trying to get you on a thing that God's law is unjust. And so they're trying to season the fact that in the Old Testament that certain people were executed. These, the issue here is that the entire Old Testament was a foreshadowing and a preparation for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ already has lived. He's already been crucified and he's already been raised from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is our high priest. He is our king, right? He is our prophet. He is our prophet, priest, and king. We have, as Christians, the perfect, perpetual, and personal obedience of Jesus Christ in our account. All of the Old Testament codes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. I don't need to work for my salvation. This is called the good news of the gospel, and we bring it to everybody without fail, whether they're gay or straight. So this saves us from the, the, the <clears throat> how shall I put it, the fallacy that you're preaching to a homosexual and you're preaching what heterosexuality is not salvation. Jesus Christ is salvation. Um, sexual purity as defined by scripture, one man, one woman in the marriage. Now I know that's objectionable, to, to someone who doesn't believe that, who's a homosexual, but there's no civil penalty for this. In fact, the civil magistrate shouldn't be involved with it at all. This gets rid of the entire gay marriage issue. As Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he's, he's talking about people sinning outside of a church. He's talking about Christians who are dragging other Christians to the civil magistrate over a, a, a dispute, a legal, legal dispute. And he says, you're doing that, you're blaspheming the name of the Lord, you're, you're dishonoring the name of the Lord, don't you realize that you guys should know how to uh, wisely judge within the church? And then he says, what business is that is, uh, is of ours? What are people doing outside of a church? Think about that for a second. God separates the civil magistrate from the church in the New Testament code. So it's really none of our business. We go and preach to them, but as far as penalizing them, that's absolutely nothing to do. If they join the church, they have to adhere to the Christian principles. If they're not in a church, then you're just talking, you go, yeah, go, you're working with them, you have to be friends with them, whatever, but you're still going to preach the gospel to them. Men and women are not to become good except through the cross of Christ and grace poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we get rid of any notion of violence being done to anyone that doesn't believe in Christ. Does this make sense? I hope it does, because it's a glorious truth. What happens to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ? Nothing. Nothing. What happens to somebody who, who is a hostile atheist, who spouts blasphemy all day? He is as safe from violence for me as anyone else is. If he comes over my property, I'm going to call the cops on him. Right? If he starts running his mouth and then I tell him, hey, get out of my house, dude, we're having a problem. That, but the same thing if I go over to his house. This is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you tell him the judgment for that will be the fact that he's rejecting the gospel. That's what Hebrews goes on to, to articulate, is that if the penalty was so severe in the wilderness, that people were dying in the wilderness for being, for being unfaithful. Now think about that. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, for, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? This is again, uh, this is verse 16, Hebrews chapter 3. And with whom 
was provoked, he was provoked for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would, that they wouldn't enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The, the, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, Paul or whoever, is, is making clear the point that the, the penalty for disobeying the law of Moses was severe. The penalty for disobeying the law of Jesus Christ is no salvation, no hope, nothing. That was a picture. Those things were written, in the, those things of the former times were written for our benefit. So if we try and use the sword against them now instead of the gospel, we're not bringing glory to Jesus Christ. That's the point of anything that we do. The, the end should be the glory of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when you're, when, when you're confronted with that question, you say, yeah, they should repent of their sin. That's a sin. But they're safe. They have the, the blessings of the glory of God. The, the other scripture proof here is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking about how we should treat others. He says, be like your Father in heaven. He sends rain and sun on the just and the unjust. Isn't that amazing? Think about this for a second. He's, he's, Jesus himself says that our moral conduct towards others should reflect God's conduct on all people, this just and unjust, family, love, great arts, nature. All of these things are, are perceived, and, and they're wonderful things that both sinner and saint alike can partake in. A good number of years ago, on New Year's Day, I went up really early. I was in the Blue Ridge Parkway, and there was a young lady who was out there, and she was just sitting at one of the overlooks listening to some music with her door open in her car. And she looked like she'd had a pretty rough night. You know, she she's probably drinking. And so, so it was, again, early in the morning, and, and my guess is she had been out all night from just looking at her. And she didn't look like she was your your average churchgoer, okay? Just, let's just, you know, a lot of tats and, you know, uh, piercings and the whole bit. And the music she was listening to was, you know, pretty rough. <laughs> it's pretty rough stuff. I didn't recognize it. I have no idea what it was. But it wasn't your garden variety, like Christian rock or something, okay? Just to be clear. Now, she's up there and she's looking at the, the overlook near the Pisgah Ridge. If you know, if you've ever been in that area, it's just breathtaking. It's gorgeous. And she was there looking at God's creation, just like I was, okay? She needs the gospel, just like I do. I don't know what she was doing all night. I have no idea. But I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you should be arrested, and the civil magistrate should inflict violence upon you because you were conducting your affairs in a way that I didn't think was Christian. I share the gospel with her. And I tried to get a conversation and you know see what she was up to, but <laughs> that's another story for another podcast. Uh, but seriously here, that's the, the beauty of Christian liberty. So that you can go out and you can boldly tell somebody that God's civil magistrate is there to protect the sinner and the Christian. Last year I was, I was down in Key West and I was walking up Duval Street. If you've ever been down there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of bars, there's a lot of drinking, and there's a bunch of transvestites out in the road. And, and, and the city closes the road down after dark, and so these guys are all out in the street drinking and the whole bit. And there's transvestites out there, uh, you know, trying to get you to come into their clubs and so forth. And on the corner there, they've got some, the civil magistrate, they, got a, they have a bunch of cops on every corner. And it was these young, strong men and women in, in police uniforms making sure that everybody was safe. That's 
a blessing from God. That's what Jesus was talking about. He sends his blessings, and one of them is his civil magistrate to protect people from the outbreaks of sin so that they can't drag me into the bar, nor can I punch them in the face for being, for being a transvestite. I can talk to them about the gospel, and they can tell me that, that they, they can't stand me, get away. Okay? Just as they're free to try to get me to go in the bar, I'm free to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's freedom. At the end of the day, Christ will judge all. It's given unto men once to die, then judgment. Hebrews 9.27, back in Hebrews again. Right? That's it. So, what happens to the non-believer? They have political liberty. They have the protection of God's civil magistrate. That should be to the glory of God. And they should look at that and go, wow. Now, if you're, if you're talking about Sharia law, that's a different story, right? And people like to say, well, all religions are the same. I will just answer this. I'm not even going to get into a heavy the theological question, but there's, 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 that irritates me. I've got to be perfectly honest with you. That objection really just irks me because it's so disingenuous. Go over to Saudi Arabia and say stuff there against Islam as you would say things here in, in the United States against Christianity and see what happens. There's no comparison. It's really easy to sit there. It's kind of cowardly. I'm sorry to say this, but that objection is just flat out cowardly. The, the liberty that we have in, in America, that well, it's, of course, it's, it's, it's running out of steam here, was based upon not a complete and comprehensive understanding of this principle, but they had the inchoate rumblings of it, trust me. Right? They did. They were still trying to, the Great Awakening and, and the Reformation was drawing that out of us and going, wow, hmm, we're all sinners. No one is fit to rule over everybody else. And so, therefore, all law is limited to God's revelation and so on and so forth. So, this, this, the, the whole idea of personal liberty and freedom never occurred to anybody until the 18th century in terms of it was going in terms of its fullness that we would understand as the constitutional law and so forth and so on it just didn't exist because people weren't understanding the bible because we don't understand sin we don't like now think about this it wrapped in this point that i'm making is that you and i don't have tyrannical powers over one another to regulate one another to rule one another exactly and precisely because we're sinners and so that to, to fix that problem we need jesus christ and if we want to fix the problem of our neighbor, we give them Jesus Christ. We tell them about Christ. We cannot use force and regulation to, to make them good. That's our natural inclination. Our knee-jerk reaction is to say, you know what the real problem is? <laughs> That's our natural inclination. To, to turn our conscience, we recognize sin in others. And to turn it and turn those moral guns on others. That the seared conscience is, is the conscience is the end of Romans one thirty two. You know, not only we know <clears throat> those who do such things deserve to die, we not only do them, but we give approval to those who practice them. That's the seared conscience that Paul talks about in, in Timothy, first Timothy chapter four. And then we also have the accusing conscience of Romans two. It's always out there accusing or excusing and so forth. And and you meet people like this all the time. They're always talking about how immoral somebody is, usually in politics. The awakened conscience, conscience is the one that the Holy Spirit comes to and says, hey, look at your own sin. That's not, that's not normal. That's not normal. Looking at our own sin, it's not normal. It's easy to see the speck in our brother's eye. Christian libertarianism talks about sin and its remedy in Jesus Christ. And then if you ask, well, wait, wait a minute, what happens to people who don't believe that? The civil magistrate gives them this and preserves for them this political liberty, the blessing 
the common grace blessing that Jesus Christ gives to all people in the gospel age. And that's that. Isn't that wonderful? Well, I know this is a stunning subject and a big, big change of things. But you only get it, you only get it, boys and girls, through an understanding of the biblical principles and the application of them. And like always, it ends at the cross of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You end up going, wow, praise be to Jesus Christ, the only hope of salvation for mankind. Not Washington, D.C., not Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Donald J. Trump or whoever it is. No one is our salvation except for Christ. And that's wonderful. And even people who don't believe that are able to live peacefully on earth if the Christian principles are applied with consistency in this day and age. Okay, we'll get back into that and we'll do another round on this but uh this was this was a a, i know a really heavy hitting podcast because it's really impacting you know our daily life and our politics because this is something that's a huge point of contention between christians and uh you know non-christians in this day and age so hopefully this helps and we'll pick it back up let me know if you guys have any questions and remember this is jason here whatsoever is true and we'll catch you the next in the next podcast